Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. You can be seated. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I kept waiting for one of our youth to run up here and say, I have Andy's permission to do this, but I'm glad that didn't happen. That was good. They did ask my permission, so good for you guys. Happy birthday, Andy. Galatians chapter 1, as we continue this study of a book about grace, a book all about grace and freedom in Christ. I heard a story a while back about a lady who decided that she was going to tell people about Jesus, so she got on the bus with her Bible, and she was ready. And sitting on the bus, a man who was inebriated stumbled, got the bus door open, and he was stumbling to his seat on the bus, and she looked at him, and she said, young man... You're going straight to hell. And he said, oh, man, I'm on the wrong bus again, and went back. Um, There is a right way and a wrong way to confront. Most people read the Apostle Paul's words, and by the way, this is one of his letters to the churches in the Galatia region. Most people read these words, and they say, man, that's pretty harsh. Those are strong words. Did he mean to say it that way? Well, let's look at those phrases in verses 8, 9, and 10 of Galatians 1 and make application to our lives today. Paul writes these words after he's challenged them not to distort the gospel of Christ. He says, but if we, even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Or other words, he says that person should be cursed. Pretty strong words. Did he mean to say that? Look at the next verse. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Why does Paul repeat that? Theologians debate. I believe he's repeating it to make make it clear that he didn't make a mistake, that he didn't utter those words in anger or uh, not something that was thought through, but that he definitely meant to say it that way. Anyone who preaches a gospel other than the gospel of Christ is to be cursed, to be cut off from the love of God. Strong words. Anathema is the actual word in the Greek. Look at verse 10. For I am now seeking the, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? A rhetorical question. Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Strong words for a stray world. Paul gives those words to the believers there in Galatia and challenges them to watch out for anybody who brings a gospel that's contrary to the gospel of Christ. And So I'm going to try to answer two questions. First of all, why such strong language? And secondly, how can we as followers of Christ recognize when the true gospel is being preached or when there is a counterfeit? Paul utters this curse impartially because he says even if we or angels or anyone should preach a a false gospel so Paul is not singling out a group some people have said he's singling out a group he's not he says even if I Paul 
when he says we. Even if I were to preach a false gospel, I don't deserve the love of God. I should be cut off because that is not right. Why such strong language? Number one, because in Galatia, and even in our day, the heart of the gospel is being challenged. The core, I think you have in your notes there, the core of the gospel is being challenged. The message, the truth of the gospel of Christ. Now we've read in 1 Corinthians where the gospel is clearly that Jesus came, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. That's the gospel. And the truth of that gospel is from John 3.16 that God so loved us that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That by grace through faith, Ephesians 2 as we looked at that last week, 8 and 9, by grace through faith you've been saved. That's the gospel. And Paul says in that church, in that culture, and in our culture today, it's so clear. The core of the gospel is being challenged. The core truth that Jesus is the only way. I tell you what, if you want to make points, not. <laughs> if you don't want to make points, stand up and tell the world that Jesus is the only way. There are people in our churches who believe that there are many ways to get to heaven. Let's don't, let's don't say the Muslims are wrong. Let's don't say the Hindus are wrong. Let's don't say the Buddhists are wrong. Let's don't say the whoever. You plug in anybody uh, who says there's another way to get to heaven. Even people in our churches say, let's don't say they're wrong. Let's be tolerant of them. Folks, the Bible says it clearly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That is the core of the gospel. It is not popular. Did you know that? You start talking about going to church and maybe you'll have a hearing. You start talking about believing in God and you'll have a hearing even in our culture. People love to believe in God. You even talk about uh, a person being regenerated and they'll, they'll talk about that. But you zero in on Jesus as the only way. And people get upset. You might have a fight on your hands. Hopefully not. The core message of the gospel is Jesus and Jesus alone. Remember we said last week that Jesus plus anything else is not grace? What Paul was dealing with here is people were saying, yeah, you need Jesus plus. What would they say today? Well, you need Jesus plus the inner light. You need Jesus plus a mantra. You need Jesus plus a system of thought. Even in Christianity, you need Jesus plus some deeds, some acts that you can do. Anything plus Jesus is not grace. That's the heart of the gospel, by grace through faith. And you know why that's so, such a challenge to the core of the gospel? It comes to our next point there. The second reason why Paul's language is harsh is because the sufficiency of the work of Christ is being challenged. The sufficiency of the work of Christ is being challenged. We said last time that there, there are two branches or two uh, uh, studies in theology when you study about Christ. You study the person of Christ, who he is, and you study the work of Christ, what he did. So I'm using that word there in that sense, the work of Christ, what he did for us, his sacrifice on the cross. So if you want to write that word, his sacrifice, you can do that. In that culture in Galatia, the false gospel that you need Jesus plus something else hit right at the core of the gospel and it challenged the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, if Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross was not enough to get you to heaven, then doesn't it stand to reason that you need to add some more to it to get to heaven? But the Bible is clear that Jesus and Jesus alone in his death on the cross, the shed blood of Christ is all that's sufficient for salvation. 
So when you start to add to it, you say, you know, Jesus did a good thing on the cross, but it's not quite good enough. Some people wouldn't say it that way, would they? But they think it. They live it. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, but I need to help you out a little bit more. Yeah, your, your shed blood cleansed me of my sin, but I've got to help you out because I've got to be a really good person so God will love me even more. Be careful about that. See, religion is all about do. Christianity is all about done. I like that. I think Bill Hybels was the first one who I read said that. See, Christ, religion is what can I do to get to heaven? Christianity is it's already been done. Can you embrace that truth? Boy, is that not a, a, a freeing, rewarding, liberating thing? Especially when you go to share the gospel with someone. You, you can tell them. You know, people say, well, I'm not quite good enough to get to heaven. Bingo. Have I got good news for you? Nobody's good enough. Well, I'm too bad to get into heaven. Good news. We all are. The grace, the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ is that his cross, his death on the cross, paid the price for all your sins. There's nobody good enough. There's nobody too bad. That's why Jesus came and died. And when you start to add to the gospel, you question the sufficiency. You question the fact that Jesus' death on the cross was enough. Number three, the third reason why we, Paul used strong language, the glory of God is being challenged here. The glory of God is being challenged. See, when men can take credit for their religion, then who gets the credit? Men do. Who loses the credit? God does. If somebody can say, look how good I've been. Look at what a great father I've been. Look at what a great church member I've been. Look at all the good things I've done. Who's getting the glory for that? Somebody said sin is all about eye trouble. S-I-N. It's all about me. When we add to, when we say, I can do it, I can gain on my own, God doesn't get the glory anymore. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 42. You don't need to look it up. I'm just going to read it from my notes. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. I like that. Can I paraphrase? God says, I am God, that's my name. Wear it out. You ever hear that saying, that's my name, don't wear it out? God says, that's my name, go ahead, wear it out. I will not give my glory to another. Now, boy, you're just amen, you're maybe inside. Not very many people amen out loud here, but anyway, maybe, there you go, okay. Amen on the inside. Think, boy, pastor, tell those people about that false gospel. They don't need to be doing that stuff. Uh, those people who worship idols, boy, don't do that. God gets all the glory. But we have a tendency in the body of Christ to make it all about our performance. So the glory comes to us. I'm not saying that it's not appropriate to say, well done, good job. I'm not saying let's don't encourage each other. I'm not saying let's don't brag on the gifts God has given us, but be careful when we make it all about us and not about him. God will not share his glory with another. One of my favorite characters in history, T.R., Teddy Roosevelt, would take dignitaries in the White House. I've used this before. I love this story. Take dignitaries in the White House, and, and he would stand out on the lawn, the back lawn there, and that was before all the city lights and stuff. And just stare up at the heavens. Just stare up at the stars. And those people standing around him would kind of look and look at what's he looking at. And they just all look up at the stars. And he'd stand there for the longest time. 
And then he'd say, well, gentlemen, now that we know how small we are, let's go to bed. See, you look at the glory of God, and it puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? I'd recommend a link on YouTube. Go look up Indescribable by Louis Giglio. There's several, you have to watch several clips, but he just talks about the glory of God and looking at the heavens and the universe, and it makes us see how small we really are. Let's don't challenge the glory of God. Let's give him all the glory. Fourth reason that Paul uses such strong language, the destiny of souls is at stake. The destiny of souls is at stake. See, it's all about eternity. Paul says, don't let anyone, even an angel, preach a gospel contrary to the one that I've preached, to the truth. Don't let anyone. Why? Because the destiny of people's souls is at stake here. That's strong language, Paul, to say somebody would be cursed if they say it's any other way. Why? It's not strong. If you have eternity at stake, it's not strong language if you're trying to save someone from hell. It's not strong language if you're trying to keep a person from living a life separated from God for eternity. By the way, there's a very false teaching out there that's even been embraced in churches that when you die, you die, and it's over. Yeah, we're looking forward to heaven. If you know Christ, you go to spend eternity in heaven. But if you die without Christ, it's just over. The Bible doesn't say that, does it? The Bible says there is a place called hell where there is wailing, weeping, gnashing of teeth. A place of punishment and torment for eternity. I know about you, but I can't get my brain around that one. Can you? Can you get your, your thinking and your senses around the worst situation in your life? People say, oh, I tell you what, it was, it was, it was like hell today. Think about that. As bad as it's ever been for you, it wasn't like hell. Because hell is some place where God is not present, and it's eternal, and there's no break. We've taken some of those long flights overseas. My son is on a plane right now to New Zealand. Don't ask me why. Now, I know why he's going to New Zealand. He had a chance for a vacation, so he's somewhere a couple hours away from landing. But we've been on those overseas flights where it's just 14 hours of nonstop, and you think, man, if I ever get out of this... And you, you know that the, the plane finally lands and they open that door and you can stand up and stretch and you walk out on ground that's solid. <laughs> you say, am I glad that experience is over? As bad as that is, that's nothing. Being cooped up in an airplane is nothing. Being in 110 degree heat is nothing. You think of the worst experience you've been in. It doesn't ever stop. And so Paul says, that's what hell is like. It is eternal. And we've got to save people from that. Those lang that language sounds like it's something we made up to save a soul from hell. That's biblical, isn't it? Literally, to, to reach down and rescue people from the pit. Eternity is a, is a long time. And to be separated from God, anything good for eternity, their souls are at stake. We need to rescue them. Fifth reason, Paul's language is so strong. Believers are being led astray. Believers are being led astray. Look at verse 9. I think this is so interesting. He says, if we have, as we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is accursed. 
He's saying to the church at Galatia, he's saying, some of you have received the gospel, some of you are walking in Christ, but I'm trying to shake you up because you're being led astray. And I believe that really becomes, becomes a very big heart of what Paul says throughout this book, this letter, is believers are adding to, even though they're saved by grace, we talked about this last week, they're trying to be kept by works. So he says, believers are being led astray. Watch out. So how do we recognize the true gospel? Second question, how do we recognize it? First of all, it will magnify the grace of God. See, the substance of the true gospel is grace, not works, not what man can do, not rituals, not traditions, not formulas, not five steps or three steps or two steps or whatever. It's all about grace. It will magnify the grace of God. I've read about the producers of Pixar films and one of my favorite quotes comes from one of the, the I think the head of that, uh, of that uh, company. He says that Pixar films, they do all the animated films, the computer generated, computer generated graphics. He says, at Pixar, we never finish a film. We just release them. I like that. Because you have a bunch of computer guys, they're always tweaking. They're always trying to, trying to make it perfect. He says, we never finish, we just hit the release date. I like that quote because that's my sermons. I never really finish a sermon, I just release it. <laughs> I'm working on it up until the moment I get up here in my brain, but I like that. But also what I read about Pixar, which is why I brought up Pixar, is that they have this incredible ability to, to make with computer-generated stuff something that's not real look like a photograph. And it's fascinating, and, and you just look at what they do. But they, the, the computer gurus that work with that stuff say this, the more organic something gets, the harder it is to make it look real. In other words, the more detail you focus in on that animation, that man-made animation where they try to make human hair or try to make a plant, the more you focus in on it, the more you see that it's man-made and it reveals the flaws. It magnifies the flaws. By contrast, take something that God created. Take a, an oak tree. You've got to love them, right? <laughs> These oak trees down here. Take an oak tree. The closer you get to that, the more you magnify the detail of that tree, the more real it is, and the more in awe you are of the Creator. See, here's what we're to do. We're to so focus on the work of Christ that He died for our sins, that it's all about grace, that God's the only one that gets the glory. It's not man-made. It's not, look at what we've done. It's all about, look at what he's done. So just, would you imagine the spotlight of God on your life? As, you're a believer, okay? If you're a believer this morning, I want to talk to believers, followers of Christ. Imagine the spotlight of God on your life. The closer he looks at you, the closer that spotlight zeroes in on your life, how much of it is all about his grace? And how much of it is all about you? Let his grace be magnified. If you're not a follower of Christ, his spotlight is on you. You know what he's saying? He's saying clearly that he died for you. He gave his life for you. You want to give God glory today? 
You want to give him honor? You want to magnify his grace? If you don't know him, receive him by grace through faith today. Look at the second reason or the second way we can identify the true gospel. It'll magnify God. It'll be all about him. Secondly, it will testify to the word of God. It will testify to the word of God. It will bear witness to the word of God. You hear some new teaching out there, you know how you test it? You look at this right here. You say, does it square with the word of God? Does it line up with the truth of scripture? Does what that person says line up with what God says in his word? Jim Jones was a gospel preacher, a fire and brimstone gospel preacher. And he began to say in his preaching, God's given me a new word. And so he began to preach from the word of God and also say, and God also told me. And he had a following of people who followed him. And then he started saying, not just God also told me, but, but God only told me. So you need to listen to what I have to say. Pretty soon he said, that book right there is not as important as what I say. Because I've got new truth. And ultimately he took the Bible and he said, don't listen to that. Because I'm the new truth. I'm the Messiah, is what Jim Jones said. And he led a group of people to take their own lives because they thought he was the Messiah. See what happens when you quit comparing what a speaker says with the word of God? It's very subtle. It's, it's very, you really can't see it in detail until you experience it for a while. But you need to go home. You need to take your Bible and you need to square what comes from this pulpit. If anybody's preaching, me or anyone else, does it square with the word of God? Does it line up? When the guy started our house a few months ago, you need to drive by and see what used to be the church parsonage. It is now our house. As they started that work and started taking off the, the, the siding and putting on new siding, one of the guys brought a little block of wood with a kind of a little thing on it and said, that's called a preacher. I said, what's that? He said, it's a, it's a guide that when you put a strip of siding on, you put that little guide on there and it lines up your next piece of siding. Makes sense to me. You can measure every one of them, I guess, but they just put that little guide on there. Went all the way around the house using that guide, all the way up to the top, and they're all lined up. Why? Because they had a guide. Now, if you just kind of sight it from the first one and think you've got it and try to go to the next piece of siding, what's going to happen eventually? Yeah, it's going to look like I did it. <laughs> it's not going to be even because you got away from the guide. And, and even as those guys were working, they'd look at it sometimes and say, get, let's get that guide again. Let's put that on there and make sure we're where we need to be. We might have to fudge a little to make this one line up with that one. The guide's important. Paul is saying... Any gospel that doesn't line up with the word of God is wrong. You need the guide. It needs to line up with the truth. Strong words for a stray world. I read this week about a, a, like a cattle guard that someone created for sheep. I've never heard of a sheep guard before. I've heard of cattle guard. 
Cattle guard is where they won't put their hooves in there. They can't cross over the road and get out the gate and all. Someone invented a sheep garden, and it worked great until this smart sheep looked at it and, and thought somehow, and I can't believe this because sheep are supposed to be dumb, figured out that instead of walking across that grate, if he would lay down and roll over, yeah, really, he could roll across that grate and get out, and somehow the other sheep saw him, or her, whatever, and followed suit. And what, what baffled the farmers in the area is all these sheep are getting into, the, getting into people's vegetable gardens and getting into people's homes. They're getting hit by cars. All kinds of stuff's happening to these sheep. And so they kind of traced it back and found out what happened. They had rolled over this barrier and gotten out to where they were free. But they were getting attacked by dogs and wolves, run over by cars. All these stray sheep that thought they were free really had put themselves in harm's way. Folks, we, we live in a world that is stray. And, and people think they are free, but they are not. It is our responsibility to share with them the only freedom Though it may sound like it's restrictive, though it may sound like you're being boxed in and all your freedoms are being taken away, the only real freedom is freedom in Christ. When you by faith will receive the grace of God and know what true freedom is, that's what Paul writes about. Do you know that freedom? Or have you been trusting and going to heaven based on what you can do or based on what some church said or based on you wrote your name on a dotted line or you went through the motions. Is that what you're basing eternity on? Or can you in your heart of hearts go back to a time, it may have been this week, it may have been last year, it may have been a decade ago, or many more like my time, but can you go back to a time where you know that you know that you've opened your heart to Jesus Christ and you've received his gift of eternal life by faith? That's the only thing that matters.